In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, over the past several weeks in the Bible studies after the church service, I've taught you about faith and that faith is a gift from God and that we're saved by grace through faith alone. And I've been driving home in those Bible studies a very, very specific point, and that is this, that faith in Christ is faith in Christ. And what that means is this, is that when it comes to your salvation, the quantity of your faith doesn't matter. Uh, it is the, what matters is the object of your faith is what matters. So I'll say it another way. When it comes to being saved, it doesn't matter how you believe. What matters is who you believe, who you trust in. That is the thing. That is what saves. When it comes to salvation, it doesn't matter whether your faith is immov- in Jesus is immovably strong and steadfast and fixed or whether your faith is very, very weak and trembling and filled with worry and anxiety. You're not saved by your faithfulness to God. You're saved by your faith in Christ, which means the strength of your faith doesn't save you. As if, uh, and also the weakness of your faith doesn't damn you. It is faith in Christ. Even, the point is, even the weakest and smallest faith is still faith. Your confidence for salvation should never, ever come from the fact, should never be, uh, or come from the fact of your condition of your faith. Your confidence for salvation comes in Christ alone in who he is and not in who you are or how you believe. So you should never look to the quality of your faith or quantity of your faith for the assurance and, and, and uh, security of your salvation. You look only to Jesus who saves you by grace through faith alone. That is the point. Now, if you've been here uh, for more than a year or more than a couple Sundays, you know what I'm about to do next, uh, which is this. With all that being said, With all of that being said about faith, that the strength or weakness of faith does not save you, Uh, even though the quantity of your faith doesn't matter when it comes to your salvation, the quantity of your faith still matters. It matters. Uh, Even though the condition of your faith doesn't matter when it comes to your salvation, the condition of your faith does matter. It is an important thing. Jesus talks about this. He talks about those who have little faith and those who have great faith. Uh, the scriptures speak this way. They, they speak in different ways of those who have uh, much faith and little faith. Um, I don't want you uh, uh, to, to just dismiss that. That distinction is important. Uh, the strength of your faith doesn't matter when it comes to salvation, but the strength of your faith matters when it comes to this life. Uh, and I don't want you to think this way and think, look, well, if weak faith and little faith is still faith and it still saves then what does it matter? And why even care if it's strong or weak? Uh, Who cares if it's strong and firm or trembling uh, and filled with anxiety? Who cares if my faith increases or not? What what does it matter? Uh, I don't want you to think that way. I don't want you to become like a theological minimalist and just go with the bare minimum, uh, which is what our deceitful heart oftentimes wants us to do. When it comes to being a Christian, uh, we oftentimes do this. But just imagine had you, if you do this with anything else in your life. 
Imagine if you said, uh, what's the minimum amount of love uh, that I need to give to my wife? Or the minimum amount of dates that we have to go on? Or the minimum amount of time that we have to talk to each other for this marriage to survive? And I'm going to shoot for that. All right, that's my goal. Or uh, what's the minimum amount of time that I have to spend with my kids before they get upset with me? Uh, it, it's, a, it's a foolish way of thinking. Uh, and yet, so often, we'll do this with the things of God. It's like saying, well, what's the minimum amount of times I have to go to church? Or the minimum amount of times I have to receive communion? Or uh, the minimum uh, I have to believe? Because I don't want to believe uh, too much, if, if that were the case. Uh, so we, we don't think this way. So, uh, and, and that this way of thinking is disingenuous, to say the least. But there's something even worse and deeper going on here. And the real problem is this, is that the quantity of your faith matters because of this reason. Because weak faith can die. Weak faith can be on the verge of dying. Uh, it, it, and it's delicate and it's fragile and that the smallest inconvenience can kill it. That is, that is the point. Uh, the thing is, all of you today who are here have faith. And I assume that to be the case because you wouldn't have woken up and gotten dressed and driven all the way over here and become a member and receive the Lord's Supper and all those sort of things. You wouldn't have done that unless you had faith. So I'm assuming that you all have faith. Uh, but the truth is, is that the quantity of your faith differs amongst yourselves. Some of you have very, very strong faith. And it's evident in your clear confession, in your strong confession, and even in your good works, we can see what sort of faith you have. And some of you have very weak faith, a faith um, that is plagued by, uh, th that's evident in the way you speak, or that's plagued by worry, or grumbling, or complaining, or things like this. W what I'm saying is this. I'm not saying that this means that you're more or less saved than the person next to you or that you're a better or worse person if your faith is stronger or, or weaker. What I'm saying is that if you do have weak faith, your faith is in danger of dying. It is. There are things attacking it that could take it away. Here's the problem, though. We don't have a way to measure it. We don't have a way to see how much faith we have and how much we have left. So uh, God sees it. We can't. But my suggestion to you is that whether your faith is weak or strong, uh, just seek to have stronger faith, whatever it might be. Uh, that we should all desire that our faith increases and is strengthened. Okay. I have to preface the sermon with that. Uh, so with that being said, uh, we'll get into the text for today, the gospel lesson and the gospel lesson teaches us how faith is strengthened, how it becomes firmer. And I'm going to go through the lesson verse by verse. So it begins by saying that the word got around that Jesus was again in Cana in Galilee where he turned water to wine. And many people wanted to go see him. And one of those people was a nobleman. Now, a, a, an official or a nobleman. The word here in Greek indicates that this man most likely was part of one of the people in Herod's Court, one of his officials. Some even think that he was maybe even related to Herod and part of the royal family. So uh, it, it goes without saying that this man was very wealthy. He had all the money and all the health care he needed. He had access to all the best things in his day. 
Now keep it in mind because that, that point is going to tell us a lot about the man's condition when he goes to Jesus. So then the text says that the man traveled all the way from Capernaum to Cana to see Jesus. That's roughly 20 some miles uh, without a car, without anything else. So that's a full day's journey. Besides that, the walk from Capernaum to Cana is uphill. It is all steady, it's a steady incline going all the way there. And that tells you how determined this man is. And the text says it's because his son was ill. And now we know that this is a mortal illness or a lethal illness, that the uh, son is um, on the verge of dying. In fact, he was so ill that the man, although he had all of the best people around him, all of the, all of the money uh, he could, uh, um, and all of the best doctors he could afford, uh, nobody could help his son. Whatever disease this was, we don't know what it was, but it was enough to kill him. And there was no cure. So the man is desperate and he's at his last resort, which is Jesus. So the man, to some degree, believes in Jesus, that this carpenter from Galilee could do things that people said he could do. So the text says, the official went to him, to Jesus, and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And then we hear Jesus' response. So here's this man who's desperate. He says, Jesus, help me. My son is going to die. And what does Jesus say? He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That, dear saints, is a rebuke. He is rebuking the man. He's telling him, uh, he's shutting him down. Uh, Jesus is lumping that man in with all of the other Galileans that only want a miracle. And it seems very heartless. Um, One thing you have to keep in mind is that we could tell a lot about a person in the Bible, not by what they said, but by Jesus' response to what they said. Uh, We miss the whole tone many times in the scriptures, but we can tell a lot by Jesus' response and we can tell what the tone of that man was when he spoke to Jesus. And that means that if Jesus rebuked him, that man most likely was not humbly or politely asking for his help. In fact, it's much more likely that he was ordering Jesus to do it. Like kind of a bossing Jesus around as if he would anybody else in the court or any of the other people. That he goes, hey, Jesus, you got to come and heal my son. So come down and do this. I'll give you whatever you want. I have all the money, whatever it is. And Jesus rebukes him and Jesus won't have it. And he says, no, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Uh, I want to make a point here because I think this is very fascinating and interesting. Uh, Bossing God around is not a sign of strong faith. It's not a sign of strong faith. In, in fact, it is a sign of very, very weak faith. I, I, you guys have heard this. Uh, I've heard people talk like this, and it's sort of embarrassing or shameful. I'll hear people say something like, well, when I get to heaven, God has a lot of explaining to do. He's got to explain a lot of things. He has a lot of things to tell me. He's got a lot of uh, questions he has to answer. And they'll say something, they say they're going to talk to God as if he's some sort of child who misbehaved or like, an, like a bad employee or something like this. And that, that is so uh, arrogant at the very least. That is not a sign of strong faith. That is a sign of weak, very, very weak faith, a fragile faith. Uh, 
just, just to think about it, what, what if on that last day you do that? Say you are in the kingdom of heaven and you do ask God and you say, why did this happen? Why, did, why is this going on? What, what's going on here and here? Tell me, give me the answer. And what if Jesus says, uh, no, <laughs> what is that to you? Just trust me. I knew what I was doing and I'm not going to tell you. Are you going to be mad at him forever for that? Uh, you're going to have to simply accept that. Now, um, the point is don't think so little of God and don't think so highly of yourself. Simply humble yourself and know that God is gracious and merciful and don't boss him around in unbelief. Uh, but back to the, the point, that is the sort of attitude that the man went to Jesus with. Uh, sort of bossing him around, telling him what to do. And Jesus rebukes him. And then you see something remarkable happen. The man says again, he says, sir, come down before my child dies. Now he has no other hope. He says, unless you come down, my child dies. And he's even more desperate and more humble. And he's begging Jesus. And then Jesus says, go, your son will live. And I want you to pay attention to that. Jesus still, still did not do what the man asked him to do. He still didn't do it. The man is saying, come down with me. I need you to be there. I need to see you in the same room as him. I need you to put your hand on him. I need you to heal him. I need to, to see this. Uh, and I need you to be with me the whole time. And Jesus, the, the man says, come to my house. And Jesus says, no, go. Go alone, back. Back to where you came from. And um, at first, Jesus, uh, at first, the man tells Jesus to do a miracle. And then now he tells Jesus how to do the miracle. Uh, come be there in person. And instead of going with him, Jesus says, no, I will give you only a word, only my promise. Go, he will live. And Jesus arranged things so that this man had no other choice but to take Jesus at his word. He's a day away, an entire day, 24 hours away from his home. He has no phone, no car, nothing to check and verify if what Jesus said is true. He has to wait, wait one whole day in the back of his mind, in the front of his mind, thinking, is my child dead? Is what Jesus said true? Was this a waste of time? Did I lose my final moments with my son going to talk to somebody who does not care about him? who just blew me off and just sent me on my way. Is that, is, is that, that's what's going through his mind. Um, and it's remarkable. But then the text says, so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. That's all. That is an act of faith because now this man turns around, nothing to take with him except a word without any evidence that what Jesus said is true. And for a whole day, he is laboring to get back to his son, wondering if he is still alive. And the text says this. It says, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. And this is beautiful. Because I want you to realize what's going on here. At first, 
the man believed in Jesus enough to travel all the way to go see him where he was. And then Jesus told him to go away. And the text says that he believed the word he spoke. And then again, when the man gets home, the servants meet him and he gets to his home. Uh, and then the text says, and he himself believed and all his household. So the question is, well, when did he believe? Did he believe at the beginning, in the middle, at the end? Why does it say he believed? And then again, he believed. Well, the point is, is this, that his faith was increasing each time. He believed and then he believed again and more and it was stronger and greater. His faith was increasing. At each of those moments, Jesus was increasing the man's faith. He strengthened it, the little faith that the man had, to the point of converting his whole household that even that little boy uh, ended up living and believing. And this is what I want you uh, to understand for today that you don't strengthen your own faith. Jesus does. God has a way of arranging your life in such a way that you would hear his word. For this man, God arranged the sickness of his son to be the thing that drove him to Jesus. And in the same way, God has arranged your life in such a way to drive you to him. And this means that sometimes God will answer our prayers in the affirmative and give us what we ask for and increase our faith in him. And it also means that sometimes he will deny our prayers, the things we ask him for a time and say no to them in order to strengthen our faith in him. Whatever the case God knows exactly when to say yes and no. He knows how to strengthen your faith in him. He knows what to give you when to, and when to give it to you. If, <clears throat> if you have prayed for something in your life and you have received it, God has given it to you, then you say, God be praised. He has blessed me again without any merit or worthiness in me. He gave me the thing. He has, uh, I called upon him and he answered me. And if you have prayed and begged and pleaded with God for something and he has not given it to you, then you ought to say, God still be praised. God still be praised and his name still be magnified and God has heard my voice. God is still good. His grace is sufficient for me. I trust that God knows what to give me and he also knows what to withhold from me. Better than I do. So if you have prayed for health and you have not seen it, don't despair. Just trust that God knows what he's doing and that he is increasing and strengthening your faith in him. And if you have prayed for a spouse and have not seen that day, then don't get angry with God, but trust what he is doing. And if you have asked for children but have not seen them or asked for success or health or wealth or things and any such thing that you have not seen, then trust that God in his infinite wisdom and love has chosen to deny you these things for your own sake, for your benefit, for a time. I I know that this is a hard word to hear, uh, especially when you are begging God, when you're asking him to do what you are asking. 
But God will oftentimes rebuke us. Oftentimes he will deny our prayers. And oftentimes he will send us away empty-handed, not because he doesn't love us, though, but because he is strengthening our faith in him. He is deepening our faith, our reliance, our confidence upon it. He's bolstering the truth down into your heart that his grace, his forgiveness, his salvation is sufficient for you. Strong faith doesn't recoil from God or run away when God, uh, if, if God withholds something from us. Strong faith clings tighter to him. And look at you, consider yourselves. You are all still here. And I'm certain, I, I'm 100% certain, you have prayed for things over and over and over again and have not received it. When that happens, you simply say, God be praised because whatever is sufficient for him is sufficient for me. Whatever he is content with giving me, then I am content receiving it. And that, dear saints, is strong faith. Strong faith still, uh, strong faith in God. Trust God that he is still good and loving even when he sends us sadness. That he is still good and loving even when he rebukes us. That he is good even when he sends us with nothing. And God is increasing and strengthening your faith every single time that happens. <clears throat> and he's doing it even now in, this, in these words. Uh, as I get ready to close, I want you to consider this, that you are all, all of us, like that nobleman right now, like that official. But we're like him as he's walking back home. We're in a different time and place and a distance, but spiritually, we are in the same exact place and condition. That man had to wait a day, but for us, we wait years or even a lifetime. But regardless, we're in the same condition spiritually. And to the nobleman, Jesus said, your son lives. And to you, he says, all those tears you shed over this life of pain and sadness, trust me, I will wipe them away. To you, he says, all that sadness and disappointment you feel in this life. Trust me, even the greatest of them are not even worth comparing to the joy that I have for you. To you, he says, all of that emptiness and shame and loneliness that you carry, trust me, I will make you forget it all when I cover you with an eternal weight of unending and undying glory when that day comes. To you, he says, your sins are forgiven. You are mine. I have died for you. I will save you. Baptism saves you. Take, eat. This is my body and my blood given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. To you, he says, all of these things are true. You have my word. And just as true as my word was for that official, that's how true it is for you. So dear saints, you have no evidence for any of those words. None. Uh, not on a human level. You have no feeling or ex uh, you can't experiment with this or, or evidence that will affirm any of what Jesus has said. You don't have any, any of these things. But you have something far greater. 
far more sure than heaven and earth. And that is you have Jesus' word. You have his promise. And his promise which has not failed. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will not. Jesus' word, his words, are all we have. And yet his words are all we need. What God said is so certain and true that you can stake your life on it a thousand times over and not once be disappointed or let down. God's word is true whether, regardless of how you feel, regardless of your circumstance. You are a baptized and redeemed child of God. You don't need signs. You don't need wonders. You don't need another authority to confirm what the Lord has said. You have the God of heaven and earth who spoke and said these words to you. You have the word of God. So God be praised that the one who answers your prayers, the one who denies the things to you for your good, is the one who bled out on the cross for you. And that he has not only given you faith to believe him, but has increased it and strengthened it even now. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.